maybe buy something from them and, you know, then, you know, message them and thank them or, I don't know, sort of to, to get into a world like that, like, you kind of have to participate in it. Hello, print friends, and welcome to the 78th episode of Pine Copper Line, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram and Facebook, and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all at pinecopperlime.com. We also have a Patreon page where supporters sign up at tiers that start at just a dollar a month, and they help keep us keep bringing you printmaking content every week. You can also get thank yous like stickers, totes, on-air shout-outs. So if that's something you're interested in, check out that link in the show notes. Hey, hey, print friends. We have merch, all kinds of fun designs to show your PCL support and make print jokes to confuse and or intrigue your friends and family. And if you've got any of those friends and family who you want to share Pine Copper Lime with, but they do not understand what a podcast is or how it works... We do archive all of our episodes over on YouTube. It makes for easy listening and also offers pretty good, but not perfect, closed captioning for anyone who wants to read the episodes rather than listen. Check it out if you're interested. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. This episode of Pine Copper Lime is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. If you've been following along on Instagram, and we really do recommend that you do, you've no doubt seen their newest initiative in the print world, Speedball's Print Posse. Working with artists like our guest today, Dear Jerk, they've created a brand new line of custom inks to push your practice even further. So head on over to Speedball's Print Posse shop at speedballart.com, where you can pick up a can of Mint Jerk ink and see your new favorite color. Link in the show notes. My guest this week is Bryn Parrott, who most of us know affectionately as Dear Jerk. For this episode, she joined me from her home in West Virginia, where we chat about sneaking into printmaking class her freshman year at West Virginia University, how not having enough cash on hand to buy paper to print her blocks helped her on her journey to turn her wood blocks into the art object, the influences of working in a tattoo parlor, what the heck is up with Twitter, and the origin of her handle. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to get some ink on the brayer with Dear Jerk. Hi, Bryn. How's it going? Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining me for your evening, my morning. And I'm really glad we finally get a chance to connect. I have admired your work on the, the social media and at, you know, SGCI Print Austin printmaking events. And I'm just really excited to get to know you a little bit better and your work a little bit better. And 
yeah, that we've got to connect. This is great. Okay, sounds great. Yeah. So before we dive into some of the the nitty gritty of your work and your practice, would you give yourself just a, a little introduction for people who may not be aware of you? And I always ask my guests to say sort of who you are and where you are in the world and how it is that you describe what you do with yourself. My name is Bryn Parrott, and maybe people would know me better with my online name, which is Dear Jerk. And I'm actually located in Morgantown, West Virginia, and I am a relief printmaker, carver. I make um, wood carvings as objects, and I do print them too, but most of my work is made as a solo object. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear the story of how you came to printmaking and then how kind of you saw your work sort of transition from the block being the matrix to the block being the finished work. So I've always like I've always been interested in art, like even mm-hmm. when I was little. And my parents have always been very encouraging. Um, they're not artists themselves, but they're creative in their own ways and they're the liberal, fun, interesting, kind of weird people. So I think they were, they just said like, oh, this is what you're good at. So mm-hmm. let's go with it. You know, and I always, you know, I was always drawing and I started to learn like real basic printmaking stuff early because we live in Morgantown. We're close to West Virginia University. And when I was a kid, they had um, a program called Saturday Art Studio which was, it was grad students that were in art education, I believe. Mm. It might have been art grads anyway. I'm not sure if they could volunteer. It was a required. But on Saturday, they taught like two classes and they were divided into ages. And um, you could go in, sign your kids up for this class. And what they did was they like, they sort of taught kids like they would teach them in college so we did figure drawing and we did, we got to work with clay. Uh, we got to work with printing press, a paper sculpture. Like they just did. So I, you know, met or I learned a lot of things there. And one mm. of them was printmaking. And so I, I think I just always liked that. And so I did a lot of that stuff at home through like middle school and high school doing like hand printing and I I just knew I was going to go to school for printmaking or at least art, but like, I was pretty sure it was going to be printmaking. I mean, they kind of don't let you decide right away, but I think I even like snuck into a print class early. Like I wasn't technically, I didn't have the, I didn't have the credits my freshman year, but like it was a different system because it was 20 years ago and you had to call in and have someone sign off. So it was like easier to sort of get into a class that maybe you weren't supposed to be in, but so yeah, I went to WVU for, for, for printmaking yeah. and it was, it was great. I had the first two years I was there, I had Sarah Smelser as a professor. Not sure if you are aware of her. I do. Yeah, I do know her work. I would figure, I mean, she's seems like she's very prominent she's and kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. She's kind of a big <laughs> deal. But then I, you know, I, I you never know. And then the last two years, we kind of didn't have, there was some like shuffling at WVU and they had a professor come in and she didn't last more than a year. Mm -hmm. And then they had the head of the department 
teach my senior year. So, and then the year after Joe Lupo was hired, which is, you know, as a shame, I missed him. Um, This is sort of a, this is sort of an offshoot rambling thing. Like, but I remember being a student when he was interviewing. I remember him coming around and meeting him. And then now I'm like friends with him um, um, years later because I kept in contact with the print department on and off. And also my younger sister's a printmaker Mm -hmm. and she went to WVU. So she had Joe. So the the other thing was, is that I didn't have a lot of direction after that. Like I really liked working in the print studio. It was like, if I wasn't sure before I was in the print studio, I was sure when I was in there. Yeah. And I paint too, but I, there's something about printmaking for me. And I think a lot of people I talk to also do it. There's the process is so appealing and I love multiples of things Mm. like in my life, I like multiples. Like, why have one when you can have two of something? Um, <laughs> so I think that that is really appealing. Yeah. Were you drawn to relief carving kind of instantly? Or did you do a bunch of the different processes? I mean, I, I obviously did them all because we were required to. And I was interested anyway. Um, I actually did relief carving prior to being in college. So the thing I do now for profit or my livelihood I did when I was in high school which was carving a block and then having it be a piece of work but I kind of did I mean I did not a great job of it and on really bad wood because there was no I had no information I had I was using I was using the worst wood cutting tools I was using like you know like one by fours or like just like wood I could get my hands on like money like really. And I, I don't know, I just didn't, I didn't know what was available and what in part, what being in a studio, like a professional studio did for me was understand what materials worked better, that you could use plywood, you could use things like that to carve into. And it was like worlds better and the kind of tools you could get. So yeah, I like, I definitely like carving. It's like, does like scratch whatever itch that I have it's like repetitive and obsessive and kind of keeps my mind busy or maybe I don't worry so much you know I'm always stressing out about something especially now with like the news oh gosh right like it's like it's like a it's just you know awful every day and I will say when I'm like working on something I I feel less awful and (laughs) kind of distracts me so I've always liked relief carving it's the textural uh, aspect of it. And uh, I like the tools, but I like a lot of the other stuff too. Like I really like silkscreen. I just don't have a setup for that at my house. Mm. It requires, you know, power washer. And, um, but when I go visit my sister, well, when you can visit people, because she's in Johnson city, Tennessee, and she's a, the printmaking professor at ETSU. And she's taught a couple other places too, but I, I try to do some silkscreen work with her because that's how, what she works with primarily and so she's got the setup and I really like a lot of the aspects of silkscreen. Yeah and then when you were kind of finding your way towards relief at what point did you just kind of start to see the blocks as the art object and then because I know now while you do as you said you do print your work and you'll even, you know, you'll print them on t-shirts or, or mm-hmm. all kinds of different things. But I think primarily in terms of your 
creative practice, what I see from you is actually these these beautiful carved blocks of wood that are being sort of displayed as the the final product, but very much carved in the style of relief printmaking. How did that come about? So it came about sort of because of financial reason. Like it was like a happy accident. I, I don't know if I like that phrase, but <laughs> like because I left school and I toyed with the idea of going to grad school, but didn't really have the direction. Like I went and visited some schools and I kind of got intimidated that I wasn't going to be able to do the intellectual side of mm. it. Like I wasn't sure I could defend. I don't know. Maybe I would have been fine, but I just didn't go for it then. And so then I started working like those crappy jobs, you know, like, and um, I just didn't have access to a press and I could have hand printed things, but I, I just started carving these images and I was like, well, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Like just, mm -hmm. I've always thought the block was cool. And so I ended up just like making them look more finished by instead of just, you know, uh, toning them, you know, actually painting them yeah. and carving them away. And, 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 you know, and for a long time, like for years, I, like I graduated in 2004 and then I don't, I mean, I didn't start making, like, I don't, it's not a level of success to make money, but the point is I didn't, I didn't have like a career you could define like financially, I guess, mm -hmm. with these until starting in like 2012, like 2010 is where things started to change. But um, like, I always did them, but I did like far less, like the, the years before I started doing them all the time, I like, I would make one every couple of months and, you know, I'd paint some and, but it was, it was the, the reason I started making them is because I do like the way a block looks. And then I just didn't have the facilities or money. Like I didn't have the money to buy a press. Yeah. Well, and paper, paper is so expensive. Like if you want to addition a, a wood block, I mean, you could spend hundreds of dollars on good paper before you ever right. saw a piece sell, you know? So if you don't right. have that money to invest up front, it's really difficult to make it financially viable. Right. And I was so poor, <laughs> you know, like I was, I was making like six bucks an hour, right. you know, and it just doesn't allow for, I mean, you make some things work, but I mean, paying rent and you're trying to eat and like, you know, all that stuff. And I just didn't, wasn't able to justify or couldn't legitimately could not afford a press. Like I remember being in school and thinking I will just, I will never be able to afford a press. Like mm -hmm. it's just not going to happen. And I like, I eventually Joe Lupa, this is years later. It was like, Oh, you could come in and use the presses. But I was like nervous to do that because I didn't know him initially. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be that like person who's just getting, you know, using something for nothing sort of. And, but mm -hmm. I couldn't also afford to like take another class, you know, because a class alone, like I got a scholarship in college, so it was paid for, which is a blessing because I, I didn't even know how much of a blessing that was uh, because uh, just I don't have debt, and yeah. it's it, and I stayed in state, which was a huge deal, and also it was twenty years ago, which was a lot cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't afford to go to school, like take just an individual class because they, you know, they were so expensive. And 
again, I think I've got off track, but I mean, I made the blocks because they were, I, I could afford to buy plywood. Like, yeah. I could, I could spend a little bit of mo- money on decent, like nice veneer plywood and, you know, make something that felt finished and hangable and like, and unusual. I mm-hmm. think, you know, I know that printmakers look at that and that they understand what it is, but like when you're functioning in a different environment, a lot of people haven't seen anything like that or they are not familiar particularly. Yeah. So yeah, like I started working in a tattoo shop, which also helped like in 2008 or nine. And um, that's how... I still made those things and I started to make more art and it was being around tattooers. Like I started to be in this environment that was, had been always, had always been interesting to me, but um, I didn't know as much about it. So I've learned a lot. I learned a lot while working there and I was never a tattooer because I think people sometimes think that I was or tried to be and actually never in a different life maybe, but I actually very happy getting tattooed and just making art. I didn't want to be a tattooer, um, but I like I like a lot of it. I like it, and I and I met I met some amazing people and like very interesting people through that. For sure, and you know your style of art is really distinctive, and so it's the kind of imagery you make. You know, you make everything from squirrels to draculas to dinosaurs <laughs> to mothmen which i love but it's very much in your voice like you have a really developed aesthetic and i also know that with tattoo artists they can get that as well like they become known for a certain style and so sure. did your experience in the tattoo parlor kind of teach you anything about developing this voice or was that something that you came to just sort of through your own process um, I would say that it, I would say that it absolutely helped me develop mm. m- my voice. Um, I, I had, I had a strong style before and always have, like, I think that was one of my strengths, like, is I always sort of knew how I wanted an image to look, whether I could get there or not was another thing. Like I never had a problem picking out like how I wanted to do something or how I thought I wanted to do something, but looking at a lot of I mean, I look at tons of different, you know, art and uh, makers and, um, but tattooing is interesting because it also sort of resides in folk art too, Mm. because a lot of people aren't trained artists. That's, you know, that's just a thing. It's not, it's neither good nor bad. Like, you know, a lot of people argue that like some people are, you know, there, there does seem to be like a academic versus uh, lowbrow war at times and mm-hmm. i think that both are just fine there there's good stuff in both there's in both arenas and yeah not one is not better than the other absolutely um but i do i do enjoy a lot of folk art from like any any particular background like could be any part of the world any you know so tattooing does have a lot of that in it and um what it what i learned from it is that to make like good tattoos or what I think are good tattoos because that differ, you know, people feel differently. You kind of gotta, you gotta make like a really sort of iconic looking thing, like something you can, if you're putting a tattoo on someone, you want it, you want people to be able to know what it is from a decent distance. Mm. And 
you know, it's real intentional, something about it, like, or at least the style I'm interested in, which is often bold. Uh, a lot of the imagery that's in the old flash is appealing to me. And I think I ch- tried to apply that to what I did. And I, and I did a lot of like tattoo related imagery. In fact, that's what it's weird. I do have a moment where I, I can place where I said, I can remember sitting in the tattoo shop cause I just worked the counter and I was looking at this old piece of flash and it's like a sailor Jerry piece of flash, a very standard mm-hmm. thing in a shop. And it's a woman with a flower in her hair and she has like long, she has a long, ponytail to the side and it's real simple and I will always like that image and I was like I wonder (laughs) like I remember thinking I I was like I wonder if people would buy that image or images like it if it were carved in wood Mm. the way I do like I wonder if that would you know I wonder if I get tattooers interested they buy a lot of artwork at least the good ones do yeah you know tattooing has its levels of there's some really interesting, really talented people and there's some really terrible people too. But, and so like I started carving these images and, and, uh, people responded very positively. And it it was like, I remember selling a couple and it was like the most money I'd made (laughs) in one. Right. And it wasn't that much money. It wasn't that much money, but it was like, I was like, Oh my God, I can buy like an iPad now. I don't even have a computer. I don't have a computer. I can, it was like this big deal. Like I remember buying that iPad and like, it was, it, it was painful because it was like all this money, but, but I, you know, I could, I could see, I could finally see like a, an avenue, I guess, for mm. sort of actually making a, making a, a living with art, which I had somewhat considered like that wasn't going to happen. Like I'd always make art and I'd always do it, but I didn't know. I thought maybe I'd always be stuck like working behind a counter. Yep for not very much money. And the tattoo shop did really help me. And I was there for like eight years. And, you know, it's the reason I got to travel a lot. I had booths at tattoo conventions. Um, Tattooers would get like commissioned work and then they would tell their friends. It's a very, it's a big web. And it it got me, it got me a lot of things. Very um, appreciative of that. Like I had shows because of that. Like it's, it's, really cool and um i think maybe i've gotten away from sort of tattoo imagery more in the last few years like doing like things that are like look more like more uh maybe less referenced because i did a lot of like taking a tattoo image and then like manipulating it into making it look like something i would make or doing a lot of commission work which is you know, obviously sort of being told what to do, which Mm. was another thing I realized. It was like, I can make a living if people, people love, people love themselves and they love to tell people what to do. (laughs) And I mean, not in a mean way, but like people want the thing that's specific to them and they'll pay for that. And uh, so I did lots of tattoo shop signs and I did lots of, you know, lots of stuff, pet portraits. And, but I always tried to make them, would try to make them something that, I would have in a portfolio no matter what or right. But I kind of, I ran my, I ran my woodcutting like a tattooer did. Like I would draw something and then I would like manipulate the image a little bit. Like I just, you know, I had a stencil even that laid on the, on the wood. And like, I just kind of, if that makes any sense, like I sort of approached carving a block 
sort of more like a tattooer approaches mm-hmm. it for a time anyway. And but it was also mixed with, you know, the experience I have working in a print studio. Yeah. Well and and I think that's a really interesting insight into your process because particularly doing commissioned work, I mean that's in a way what tattooing so much is. And of course right. you know, there's flash, right? But even then you know, someone might ask for a change or, or like you have to make it to where they want on their body. It might be a little bit different. And then also, you know, people come in and they, they say like, I want, you know, whatever it is that they want. And the tattoo artist has to make it work on and but also add their own voice as well, particularly if people who have these strong styles and someone who's going to see them specifically it's because they want to see that voice in the finished product so it really makes a lot of sense yeah yeah Yeah, it was um it it was it was very helpful and it exposed me to a lot of people that I probably wouldn't have known otherwise and yeah I, I I mean I'm still friends with tons of people you know and I still participate in like well other than the pandemic, but I, right. you know, I go to, conve- go to conventions and I you generally will booth with tattooers and sell woodcuts and prints and things like that. And have some of my best friendships from, from that group yeah. of people. And, and I think, yeah, there's like cross and I see, and more and more I see crossover with tattooing and printmaking. There's, there's a lot of like, I, I see it happening more, I think. Like, I think, like, you know, like, Raking Light, mm-hmm. and they always have, I remember, like, years ago, them starting up, or, 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 you know, at least early on, maybe, and they, that mostly who they worked with, from what I could tell, was, tat- was tattooers. Yeah, so. actually, they've they've been on the podcast. Um, oh, nice. Andrew from Raking Light is, is a guest, and I know him because my husband, Tim Pauschak, was, when we were in Sydney last year, uh, he was working with Andrew to work with Sydney tattoo artists. So he actually oh, did some okay. some printing for them. But yeah, it's it's a really brilliant idea, I think, because, you know, tattoo artists are artists and people follow them. And in the world of Instagram, of course, you can follow a tattoo artist who's on the other side of the world, like in Sydney, that you may mm-hmm. never get a chance to get any tattoos from them because... You're thousands right. and thousands of kilometers apart, but you could buy a silkscreen from them and you can have a part of this artist that you admire in your home. And so it's it really does seem like a really natural connection, particularly when it comes to creating a multiple with a master printer and then getting to spread that work out. And if you can't have it on your body, you can have it on your wall and you can still have it yeah. in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And they do beautiful work. Like, Everything that I've seen, you know, um, is, you know, they, 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 they obviously pick great people and then the, the work they produce is always gorgeous. Definitely, definitely. And I guess, and speaking of the sort of like Instagram, you know, getting your work out there, you know, you have a very beautiful Instagram account um, and, a, and a good number of followers, do you have any advice for young artists, young printmakers out there who are looking at kind of curating or producing 
something that really helps them get their work out there, like in a certain way. Because I, I would guess that a lot of, uh, I know that you do sell through your IG and it looks like it's, it's pretty mm-hmm. successful because I can, you know, usually by the time I see like, oh, there's a block for sale, it's already gone. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, uh, Instagram is, that was the other thing I was going to mention is Instagram is, I sound like I'm advertising for them and I'm not, but like I got on there like in like 2010 as just like this weird app that, and there was like not very many people on there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I ended up making friends, like that was another thing I made, became close with people who were tattooers and some artists and, um, it propelled the career I have. Like it, it allowed me something I wasn't, wasn't sure I'd ever get like, because before you had to, you know, had to be in a gallery and you had mm-hmm. to, you know, to get any attention, you'd have to go somewhere. And those things are valid, you know, definitely. But now I think artists have a lot more control and can dictate a lot more because they have tools like Instagram and, you know, you can put your work out there and get a hundred percent of the profit, yep. you know, and then, you know, I, I love galleries, but, you know, and I've worked with varying you know, galleries and some have been great and some have been awful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when they're awful, it makes the arguments like, uh, do I really want to send work somewhere where you're going to take a cut and do nothing for me? Yeah. Um, but anyway, like Instagram, I, I think I got a lot of followers. Also, like part of that is that I was on there so early and it yeah. functioned a different, a different way. Like you could gain so fast or you could gain faster and there was no algorithm and there was no it just was a much more simple app it was more it was wonderful not to be like an old person but like the good old days because it immediately spoke to visual people like it was it was everything twitter wasn't right you know i hate twitter (laughs) i use it but it makes me feel like i'm dying you know twitter like just makes me feel like I'm gonna have a panic attack. <laughs> Instagram is all exactly images. what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Twitter and Facebook are like designed to, to get people in fights. Mm-hmm. And Instagram, Instagram might be like that now more because they have so many features. But originally it was like, here are these images. And hey, these people make things. And, you know, and I started collecting a lot more art because it was, you know, accessible to me, you know, trade. And that's another thing. Like, like I got to communicate with artists. I never thought I would get to communicate with. Like I ended up becoming friends with Camille Rose Garcia, who's a painter. And I used to look at her work and juxtapose when I was like 18. And I thought she was amazing. And, you know, I ended up doing later, I ended up doing events with her and like knowing her because, but all because of things on Instagram. And I try to make a, a, like my Instagram look nice. Like, I think it's important because you have to visually draw someone in because people are so, you know, they don't give much time to anything generally. And Mm -hmm. so you got to like kind of get somebody. So you can't be putting up blurry photos or like something that doesn't, I don't know. I mean, that seems simple, but try to balance out, how things look when you look at the full page of it and try to keep people engaged by posting stories of things and offering stuff. And 
I, I would say to people who are like had advice to just like reach out to artists and like in like really like I don't want to say casual but like not not trying to want anything from somebody right. not trying to get them to promote like you know maybe buy like maybe buy something from them and you know then you know message them and thank them or I don't know sort of to to get into a world like that like you kind of have to participate in it and that you try to trade with people but like do it in a I think it's how you do stuff too mm-hmm. like it's not not bad to be persistent but don't be a pest yeah like don't don't be uh, yeah, people are don't be don't be a jerk everybody's <laughs> I don't know like I just see people behave well the way people behave on the internet I'm just like who are you why are you doing this yeah but I don't know I just find a theme to like I don't know I, I do a certain framing of photos and I wouldn't say that I'm like it doesn't feel like I'm that calculated but I probably am yeah I think there's though there's there's some really good advice in there because particularly what you were saying about how people you have such little time to capture someone's attention on the internet yeah. it's it's I don't even think it's maybe a full second for if somebody sees your work or sees a photo of you or sees you in the studio on an image on Instagram and then like whether or not you capture that interest and make them think, oh, I want to see more of this. Right. It's so tiny. And so therefore, you know, everything you put out needs to be high quality because it's, you know, people don't know you. They only know that image that you've produced and in that moment. And so, you know, I think keeping that consistency and keeping that quality is really important. And interestingly enough, as I'm saying it now, I'm realizing there's a connection there to an art practice as well. So just like Mm -hmm. in your Instagram feed or in your stories or anything, you know, make it be, make it be good and make it be consistent is kind of, I think, the really good advice for the physical art that people produce as well. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to show people the best stuff you have, or at least the process to the best stuff you have. I don't know. You can do other things, too. Like, I I think that also, like, you, you, you make connections on the internet, and then you can, I don't know. Like, I did a thing at one point when I was sort of trying to get up and running, and I would have stickers made, and I would whatever I would like. And this is when I was more like involved in uh, tattoo world. Maybe um, I would just send free stickers to them and like things and just with nothing, nothing. I wasn't looking for anything in return. I just like, mm. it was sort of like, Hey, I'm here. Like, remember me, I guess, you know, and if you think about me, if you ever want a woodcut, but without like saying it, I don't know if that's really, you know, the same thing as Instagram, but I don't, it's it's tricky. I, I wonder what it would be like if I had to start something now because mm-hmm. there's so much mm-hmm. noise. But I think, you know, commenting in an intelligent way on, like, things you like and just sort of, you kind of do have to spend a bunch of time. Um, I did the, uh, I'm, or I'm in the process of doing the speedball takeover this oh, week, yeah. which has been really fun. But it always reminds me that 
I always think social media is sort of easy until I'm like running somebody else's, right? which, which I don't ever, I've actually never done, but like, you know, or like you have to, it's like a whole, you have to plan things out for it. And, uh, yeah. Cause I, I think I've felt that too with the pine copper lime Instagram and even the pine copper lime interviews where I've been at it now really consistently for a little over two years. And a lot of it just is comes intuitively to me. Like my, right. my brain has laid down the pathways hard enough that I don't have to spend a lot of mental energy coins on it every day. I just like, I just, yeah. it's part of my routine. But when I was starting out, I was thinking about it constantly and sort of, you know, what I wanted it to be and what it was communicating. And I think being intentional from the beginning is so important for people. So it's not as much of your messy learning that you can sort of hide behind the curtain, um, I think the better. And you just need to go into things intentionally and with purpose. And I think that that's, yeah, the best way to do it. And and don't be a jerk, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, just don't don't be a jerk. jerk. I think that every day when I look at the internet I'm like you, you could just not do this thing right <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be way better if you just didn't do this thing I mean especially yeah like as you said with with Twitter I was I was talking to a friend about it who is a writer and she's mm-hmm. um, published and she just had a big book deal and Twitter of course is huge in the writing world you know like there are now oh, yeah. people who are saying like oh well you know you need to have x amount of followers on Twitter before we even look at taking your book on oh. as a possibility to publish all this kind of stuff. And so she said that she's trying to navigate it. And I was saying, like, I just, every time I go on there, I just feel like it's it's just a bunch of mean nerds. And, like, yeah. and like I'm a, definitely a nerd. You know, I was a philosophy major. Like, you don't get nerdier than that. But, but I feel like I'm kind of a nice nerd. And when I get into the mean nerd category, I just, I just feel like I, I'm like, I don't get these jokes. I don't understand what you're referencing. Like, you guys are being smart, but in a really mean way to each other. And it's really stressful. People being nasty and people being, like, it also, like, exudes, like, the inability to, en- like, not, like, they can't enjoy anything or, like, the every you know, they're like highly critical of of every single thing. And like, I know that that's sort of like what goes on on Twitter and like being critical is important, but it's just, I mean, it's, it's like the worst of the worst sometimes. And it doesn't take long to find it because I don't even follow that many people on Twitter. Like I don't, I don't function on Twitter. Like I had one for, um, I've had one for a long time because there was a feature like 12 years ago. Like I can't remember how old Twitter is. Maybe it's not that old, but it, you could, you could talk to somebody. I could text my friend who was teaching in China. Right. So like I had a Twitter because it allowed me free text messaging in China. So then I had this Twitter, it laid dormant forever. Then I would look at it and I would not, wasn't really like familiar with the app. And I was like, I don't know what's going on here. And then I started using it more, maybe the end of last year. So I thought, well, I should, I should be present on all platforms that have any like importance. Yeah. Because, you know, it's another way to announce that you have a sale. It's another way to like exhibit work, but it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't, uh, it doesn't appeal to me very much. It, 
it, you do see news that's important. Like I have gained things from Twitter that maybe I wouldn't otherwise, but I've been more angry than, than not angry. Yeah. When I look yeah. at it. And then, and then even when people, cause the other layer is that everyone's trying to be funny and that's fine. Cause they're funny people, but it seems like forced a lot of the time. And I, I just don't, I'm like, I, I don't, don't like any of this, Yeah. but I don't know. This is way off subject, I guess. But like, but I did notice that Twitter added stories, which they called fleets Ugh. or something. Yeah. And everybody's, but it's like the only feature that I'm like, well, I could use this because I could put images up. Yeah. Because exactly. it's just image based. I mean, I guess, I, you know, people are going to type things and stuff, but like, I don't know. It almost feels like a lost cause when I put like images up on Twitter. I'm just like, I, uh, nobody, nobody cares. Yeah. I've tried to use it. And I know that some podcasts are really big on Twitter or just only have Twitter accounts mm-hmm. and aren't even on Instagram. And it's just, it feels weird and like I'm shouting into the void and I just don't mm-hmm. think that there's really a visual community there. I think it's as much as you can divide people into, you know, the, the word people and the picture people. I think that as, as a global society or those of us who are, who are on the social media and the global society are really strongly shifting into the, the two different platforms. And I don't really get a lot of it uh, from Twitter. No. And, and it's, it seems like the, the default is be funny and be mean. And then, right. And, and on Instagram, it's so positive and not that, you know, as you say, like, not that like mindless positivity is necessarily a good thing, but when I post on Instagram, it automatically goes through to the Pine Copper Lime Facebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, inevitably, I always get really positive comments on Instagram. It's like, beautiful, amazing. Oh, thank you. What an inspiration. And then on, <laughs> whenever I get anything weird, it's always on Facebook. Of course it is. You know, God. just somebody, you know, somebody being like, oh, I can tell they were looking at Picasso, you know, or just like some weird, yeah, like, like passive aggressive comment about like, art. It's like, what? Com- yeah, it's always combative and like, it's combative and defensive at the same time. Yeah. And like, like they've been sitting around all day waiting for you to like come for them or something. And you're like, <laughs> what are you, wh- what is happening right now? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, yeah, like very rarely Instagram is, primarily um positive on on occasion i've had weird people yeah say say things and you know like it'll get to you i mean it's gotten to me and like i've been like oh man but and i don't know how like actual like i don't know how it would be to be somebody that had a huge like like an like a famous person like where they're just people just rag on them all day like i assume they you know put this behind them by the time they're, you know, well-known, but I don't know. Yeah. It, it, there's really good feedback on, on Twitter. I mean, some of it's just mindless too, or I mean, not Twitter on Instagram, mm. but, um, but yeah, it's like, you know, you, I always look at who comments and like, sometimes it's somebody that's like an, another artist and I'm like, Oh, and maybe I've not seen their work. And I've found more artists through Instagram than I ever did before. You mm. know, it was, it, 
it's so much easier. And I, tr- I try to keep my feed pretty much like solid art. Speaking of finding artists on Instagram, I found Orville Peck from your Instagram. Oh, and I yeah. would like to personally thank you with my whole heart because I feel like he like saved my life in lockdown. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I love Orville Peck. He probably, I, I, I remember like, I don't even know how he was already like had some traction. It was like in 2019 and I saw like a photo of him. Yeah. And then uh, my friend Brad texted actually my sister and I and was like, Hey, check this guy, check this guy out. And I was like, yeah, I just saw a photo of that guy. I had to know it was up. And I listened to the album and I thought, where has this been all my life? This is amazing. Like, where did this guy come from? Like, he's got the look. I love that. Like, I love a visual, you know, like a, a stage look. And he's got the voice to back it and the talent. It was like, and then I, you know, he, he wasn't even as, I mean, he was getting famous right then. And then it was like crazy to see where he, mm-hmm. and I got to meet him at one point and um, I, you know, probably sounded like an idiot, but I made a woodcut of him and uh, I did it just to like, because I like the way he looks yeah. and I like that, that, that whole like fringed mask. And I, uh, I, I put it on Instagram. This is the thing that Instagram is good for. You can you can get the attention of people without again without being pushy and um, you know I tagged him and and everything and um, people were like oh like I want to buy this and I was like I'm not really selling it and I said if he wants it he can have it yeah and so he ended up he ended up messaging me and he was like yeah I'd love it oh I'd love to have that and and I was like great I was like I'm I you know I'm great I bought tickets to one of your shows so um, I'll bring it and uh, we got to meet him and he's really nice guy and he was great live oh that's was... so great is his speaking voice that same just like deep buttery like non-problematic johnny cash miracle yeah he does speak with like and it's funny because he's not like i mean so i guess you think of like deep voices as being like big giant people uh-huh. but like he's not like i can't remember how tall he is but he does sound like that and yeah, he's just really nice, and he he sounded as good live as he sounds on the record. Oh, it was I impressive. Love that that I was love the one that. thing that I wasn't sure. I was like, you never know, and he was just as good. And I I've loved everything he's put out. Um, it's been keeping like he had some releases this year, and I, you know that that kept me alive was music releases. Like, yeah, I really got me through sitting at home even though I sit at home anyway but definitely it was yeah it was just so it was so great and then I later saw you posted about Alex Cameron who I just have adored like since his first weird album and of course now he's um you know kind of blown up and he's dating Jemima Mm -hmm. Kirk and you know that that helps anyone get quite famous and but it was yeah it was it was just great to see that that you also yeah. So I was like, I think we have pretty pretty similar tastes because I, it's it's interesting because it's particularly with Orville Peck, something about being an American not living in America, you don't mm-hmm. get a lot of things to feel proud about, 
and True. I felt like, like not lately not lately either. yeah <laughs> and like and you know walking through the streets of Sydney or the streets of Bangkok with Orville Peck in my earphones like it it does give me a sense of place and a sense of pride of America and I think there's something that's very sort of uniquely American about you know there's like country music but also the rhinestone glitz that Orville mm-hmm. kind of embodies and then also you know open queerness is quite American it's one of the things that when I've traveled and I've gotten to go other places you know I think we think of America being quite conservative in some ways but actually it's when it comes to sort of open open queerness whether it's like mm-hmm. like gender or sexuality it's actually so much more present in America than it is in Australia than it is mm. in uh most parts of Europe uh particularly southern Europe and yeah. and it it is that that being over the top and gay and country is just like this is what I can feel proud to be an American about you know yeah yeah it's perfect i i and I, I I I love it. I can't get enough of it, and well, I don't think I'll ever tire of it. Um, and yeah, it, it it is. It's like this, you know, with all the awful stuff going on, and it is nice to know that there's like pieces of things that are good. I guess I know that's not very eloquent, but it puts me at a level of ease to have things like that to be able to listen to those things. Absolutely, feeling just the tension that's been twisting up inside of your body uncoil a little bit that music can do that it's it's such a gift for sure so before before we sign sign off as we're getting kind of towards our our hour recording mark of chatting oh yes I Mm -hmm. did want to ask you because we kept we're saying like yeah just don't be a jerk on in social media but you are (laughs) of course dear jerk so I am why why that particular name how did that come about um, that came about because of Instagram. When I went to sign up, I was like, uh, I need a, I need a handle. And it wasn't serious or anything. I've always liked the word jerk, um, in part because when my brother was really young, he's, he's, he's like 12 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was like three or four, he learned the word jerk and he would, he got mad at you, he would like step on your foot oh my and gosh. say jerk. He would go jerk. <laughs> it wasn't like real aggressive. It was just like this funny. And I mean, the word jerk, I think, is a is a funny word because it it's not a curse word. Yeah. And it's sort of, but it can. I think it has a it has better layers than calling somebody a standard curse word. It's like it's kind of harsh, but also gentle at the same time, which is sort yeah, of funny. Yeah. Sort of, old man-ish in a way or I don't know it has it, it's just like a funny word to me and then I I like deer in general as animals and I just sort of like was like oh just that'll be my name on there and uh I didn't really think about it but it was kind of perfect because I didn't have any letter like no there were no numbers in the name right so it yeah was easy to like read and remember and people have trouble with my name like people don't pronounce my name ever correctly it's like people get Bryn wrong they get parrot wrong I get why they do I you know they're not used to 
it's an odd name, I guess. And so it was a huge advantage because people would look at my work and they would remember that name. They remember Deer Jerk. So in, initially when I'd be somewhere, someone wouldn't call me by my name. They would call me by Deer Jerk. Mm. They'd be like, oh, it's the Deer Jerk woodcut person. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. And it, I just like you, I've just used it since for like branding, I guess. But it was accidental. It's just an Instagram name. And I never changed it. And um, it's not taken anywhere. So it was easy to get. Right. Yeah. Get get it across platforms. And yeah, yeah. But that would be another thing I would say, you know, if you're going to pick a name on like social media, make it so that people aren't going like, what is that? Like, yeah. How many numbers are in there? Like something that people like short things. People will remember that because then they're going to hey, I want to show you this thing, they can remember and type it in. And um, yeah, that's where it came from. I just think jerk is a funny word and um, it's easy to remember. And people, that's how, like when I've had shows, I've just, people ask me, I'm like, well, put my real name in there somewhere. But honestly, you should just use dear jerk because right. then people understand. Because people, they yeah, Bryn Parrot and people will be like, what? Is it? Do yeah. People, do don't. people try to make your last name French a lot and not yeah. say the T? I would. That's that would have been my instinct had I not heard you say it. Yeah. Yeah, and I get that, and it became especially bad after the like what the ninety two election with Perot. Oh yeah, Perot. yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I couldn't escape it anymore. It was like solidified. <laughs> I had I had I had close friends who were still saying my name wrong. Yeah. Like they like never figured it out and they would kind of like trail off when they'd say it which is funny (laughs) just avoid yeah avoid saying it I I have to say in in Thailand you know in a language that has 26 vowels I definitely Mm -hmm. just kind of avoid saying some friends names (laughs) sometimes because it's like like, "Eh." I'm like yeah so when he told me this thing and people would be like who you know him Right, no, like, guy. yeah, I can't. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm working on it. But 26 vowels is a lot of vowels for a, a native English speaker mouth to get around. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. Like, I'm so used to my name being from the time I was like a kid. Like, and it was always like people, even my first name, because it's B R Y N, and people look at it and they just think Brian. No. Oh. So I've been. I remember the army was calling a lot when I turned 18 Yeah, because I hadn't signed up for the draft. And we were like, my my mom finally was like, it's Bryn. It's a woman. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. um, I don't know why it wasn't listed somewhere. It seemed like they would should have that information, but I don't know. Yeah. That they're Um, just going by, going by the name, but that's, that's funny. We definitely like growing up, my sister and I and my brother, we all talk about, Something that my mom used to do on the phone that I do now do on the phone because of our name is that like anytime I'm like talking to a credit card company or like whatever, they'll be like, what's your name? And I'm like, my name is Bryn, B-R-Y-N-P-E-R-R-O-T-T. Like, and my mom used to do that when she was paying bills and everything. And I realized that a lot of people don't do that, like <laughs> immediately spell their whole name out. Yeah. Um, so we all do that and laugh about it. But yeah, yeah. Well, that's beautiful. it's e- e- easier to be dear jerk. Yep. 
Well, well, dear jerk, I definitely want to thank you for spending your evening with me. Um, yes, and getting thank to, you. Yeah, just getting to chat about social media and tattoos and our our mutual love of Orville. And I just, uh, yeah, I hope that we get a chance to connect sometime in the post-pandemic world. And if your travels, yeah, ever take you to Bangkok. We've got we're setting up a little print studio here with the guest room, so you're you're very welcome. There's plenty of amazing printmaking and tattooing in in Bangkok, so we'd we'd be happy to to show you around. I would love that. That would be wonderful, and I would love to try. I just want to go anywhere now. I'm right. So sick of being home. Yeah. Um, yeah. That sounds that sounds amazing, and it sounds like you've got really cool stuff going on there. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, yeah, I really hope you can you can come visit sometime, and I'll definitely be in touch with everything. Okay, sounds great. Okay, thank you so much, Bryn. It was great chatting. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Yulina Skrovanska. We'll talk about advertisement as art, moving to Japan and discovering the print scene, and opening up her own studio. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.